God, we're thankful to meet you here on this beautiful, snowy morning. God, we invite you in. Uh, we already know that you are here, that you have gone before us throughout the week, that you have prepared us for this moment. Lord, we're grateful to stand in your presence. We're grateful to be here on a Sunday uh, learning about you, seeking after your heart, seeking after holiness. God, I just pray that you would absolutely infiltrate the room, that there would be no doubt by anybody here that you meet with us in this place. God, we love you and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, Anchor Church. Um, so, we are in our second sermon of our series, Wind and Fire. I'm so sorry. I was trying not to be distracting, but Val's going to crutch on behind me. <laughs> go, Val, go. You got it. You're going to get it. You're going to make it. Sorry, I'm probably distracting her even further from being able to concentrate on not falling. I'm not good with crutches. I'm very, I'm clumsy. So, good power to you. Other Valerie's got it. Woo woo! <laughs> Okay, this is our second week of our sermon series, Wind and Fire, in which we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and last week, Pastor Lindsay talked to us about Holy Spirit essence, about who the Holy Spirit is. Right? And we remember that we, we, we began talking about the Trinity. Um, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead equal as God. Okay, and so this week... If you weren't confused enough by last week and our discussion of the Trinity and trying to unpack, is he like an egg? Is God like an egg? Is God like water? Is God, is the best representation of who God is found in us, who we are created in his image? Um, instead of talking about maybe some of the more confusing things, we're going to go back to basics, talk about something a little more practical. Um, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit influence today about how the Holy Spirit moves, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Uh, before we, we start really diving in, though, I need to tell you, I'm from northern Minnesota, um, and this weather outside is beautiful, and I love it, and it, it brings joy to my heart, and so I'm very blessed that it snowed today, or tonight, last night. I'm so sorry. My words are jumbled. <laughs> I, too, am just ugh, jumbly. Okay, stick with me. I'm from northern Minnesota, and... I'm sure that when you guys think of Minnesota, there's one thing that comes to the forefront of your mind, and it is our accents. Um, <laughs> see, I grew up with an accent, and so for, for a good more than half of my life, I had this real strong northern Minnesotan accent. And you may not be able to hear it as well now, and I'll tell you what, it's because it's been bullied out of me. Um, but <laughs> I used to have a, a really hard time saying words with A-Gs in them. So like, the word uh, bagel. And now that I'm thinking about it, I can't say them right, okay? But I used to say bagel, right? Or bag, or uh, a dish rag, or whatever. The worst of it, okay, was when I came to Colorado because you don't often notice that you have an accent when you're living in the place that shares the same accent as you until you leave the place where your accent is from, okay? So, Eighth grade, middle school, already terrible. Those of you who have been through it know what I'm talking about. It's not a fun time. Eighth grade is a really frustrating, difficult time. Okay, and I don't know, some kind of sick, cruel joke was played on me because in history class, I had to do an oral presentation over Conestoga wagons. 
Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Yeah, you give the northern kid the presentation about the wagons. And every single time I said the word wagon, there were snickers all across the room. (laughs) She sounds funny. (laughs) Okay, so it's been bullied out of me. But there's something that I want you to key in on. And I said, I think that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's easy to overlook him. It's easy to overlook some of the works that he does because we're not always aware and in tune enough to see them. But if we pause and we think about the work of the Holy Spirit like an accent, I think it becomes clearer. It's not often that you notice and intentionally look for the work of the Holy Spirit until you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is not. Until the only Holy Spirit that's in the room is the one that you carried in with you. Right at church, we have the same accent. So it becomes difficult and sometimes muddy to see all of the ways that God is working until we step outside into the world and other people notice our accent. Okay, so keep that in the back of your mind as we're talking about Holy Spirit influence, about the work that Holy Spirit is doing in our world. It's like an accent. We have to look for it. Okay, we're going to be talking about a story from John 3 where Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, speaks with Jesus. Um, before we get there, it's, it's John chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 1. Before we dive into the scripture, I'm going to set the tone a little bit. Um, Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a question, uh, actually with a statement, really. Um, and you'll soon quickly pick up on the fact that Nicodemus' statement is saying a lot more than his words are. Okay, so we will unfold that. But what do we know about Pharisees? know that they're not really huge fans of Jesus. Uh, They think that he's a radical that needs to be stopped, that he's preaching lies, that he is not doing what the Lord would have him do, right? And so any opportunity that they get to try to throw Jesus off of his game, they take. And this is one of those conversations between a Pharisee named Nicodemus and Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus here is coming to see Jesus to speculate about his claims of being God. And what Nicodemus says is really critically important, right? Nicodemus says, we know that you are from God. He does not say, we know that you are God. He doesn't even say, we know that you are of God, right? Which I I would say, those are three very distinct and different things. He says, you are from God. So much like the prophets of the Old Testament, probably that Nicodemus would be familiar with, he says, we know that you are from God, But there's a key difference here. Being God means that you are sinless. Means that the claims that Jesus is making about himself are true. Means that the life that he's living is pure, is holy, is a life worth emulating. But being from God doesn't mean that. When I think of prophets, the the number one that stands out in my mind is Jonah. Because when I was in school, uh, in college, I really disliked 
going over the story of Jonah. He just is a very whiny prophet, right? He's like, it's like, the, <laughs> he gives all prophets, I think, kind of like that little, like, you squint your eyes when somebody says prophet and you think Jonah. You're like, Jonah, he was a prophet. Yeah, he was a prophet. He had a rough time of it, too, because he tried to run from God's will. He got swallowed by a fish, thrown up on the banks of the shore, right? And then he still had to go to Nineveh where he didn't want to go. And when he was there, when he preached to Nineveh, Okay, he, he said it. He said the words God wanted him to say, probably without any heart behind it. He's just like, listen, you need to repent and you need to turn away from what you're doing or you will surely die, right? You know what he does? He goes and he lays down underneath a tree and he asks for death. He says, I would rather die than ever speak to another group of people that I don't like again. God, just, just kill me. And God doesn't. And in fact, I think it's kind of funny in a sense God takes the tree that, or the, the plant that he's sitting underneath away from him. Right, so, so what Nicodemus is saying here is, you may be from God, you may be like the prophet Jonah, you may be here to preach the word to us, but you are not of God. Your substance is not God. The claims that you are making about your identity, about who you are, about your ability to save, are not true. And let's look at how Jesus responds. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So essentially what Jesus is saying in verse 3 is, of course you can't know that I'm God because you haven't been born again into the Spirit. Ouch. (laughs) He straight up gives Nicodemus a burn. He's like, yeah, of course you don't know that I'm God because you don't even, you can't see God. You haven't been born again into the spirit like I say that you have to be, right? And just in these first three verses, we see an incredibly important aspect of what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit reveals God. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. So Jesus, in this moment, is saying to Nicodemus, You can't see truth because you don't have the Spirit. You can't see truth because God hasn't been working in you. So let's keep going because there's more than just these three verses to the story. Verse 4 starts this way. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit." Nicodemus, from our perspective, seems to be asking a pretty valid question. Jesus, I can't be born again. I don't know what you were talking about. I don't even know where to begin with this. How, as Nicodemus is processing how he can possibly crawl back into his mother's womb and be born again, there's a lot going on in this moment, right? Jesus says, you have to be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, I don't know how to be born again. I don't even know what that means. And I think because the Pharisees already have it out for Jesus, this is just one more moment where it's easy to think, Jesus is just a crazy guy. Jesus is absolutely insane. 
That cannot happen. And, and even further, if I'm Nicodemus, I'm thinking, okay, so Jesus is telling me that I have to be born again, which is impossible in and of itself. Um, but I'm also thinking that means that my whole life that I have spent trying to be the best, trying to be better than everybody around me, has been for nothing. That means that the whole life that I have dedicated to teaching Scripture is for nothing because something impossible is required of me. That means that all of the the dinner parties that I have skipped because they are not holy places have been for nothing. I can't do it on my own. And that's frustrating to a Pharisee. And I think that's frustrating to a lot of us too. We can't do it on our own. What Jesus is saying is impossible for us alone to accomplish. We cannot be born again. But that's not where it stops. Jesus, in this passage, gives an answer to Nicodemus that's so simple and yet very profound. In verses 7 and 8, he says this, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised that I'm telling you that you can't do it on your own. Just as the wind moves without you knowing where it comes from, without man stirring it and urging it and encouraging it to go, it goes. Just like the wind, being born again is something that you hear, is something that you experience, that you feel against your face, but you have no control over. This means that when this work happens, then it must be outside yourself. Just as I have no control over the wind, I also don't control God. Praise the Lord for that. Am I right? And it also means that those who are not on the same page as God will not see him. That they may hear the whistling as he is working, but they will not know where it's coming from. They will not know what it is. And and Nicodemus in this passage is wrestling with a lot. He's wrestling with an identity that he has built on being better than everybody around him, And Jesus is telling him it's not enough. It's not enough. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven without the Spirit. You see, the the Pharisees spend a lot of time thinking about God. They spend a lot of time reading Scripture. They spend a lot of time teaching and judging Israel. But they spend very little time, it would seem, actually communing with God. And how can I know that? How can I know that thousands and thousands and thousands of years away from this conversation? I can know that because Jesus just told us that the Holy Spirit transforms us and Nicodemus is still asking this question. How is what I have done not good enough to get into heaven? Jesus is keying in on something critical about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is who transforms us. 
Jesus is calling Nicodemus and the rest of, rest of the Pharisees out in this passage. I mean, you think about people dedicating their entire lives to serving the Lord and still not being able to recognize the Messiah when he comes. How embarrassing. You know who does recognize the Messiah? Those who need hope. Those who are not perfect. Those who do not think themselves perfect. The people who recognize the Messiah are broken. There are people that Jesus sweeps up into his arms and he says, you need me and you may not even know it. Those are the people that believe what Jesus is saying and that know who he is. And you may be thinking to yourself, sitting in this room, how do I know if I have been transformed by God? I don't want to be Nicodemus. How do I know that I'm not? And chances are, if you're sitting here, you're not Nicodemus. Unless you came here to battle me in a like fist fight or word fight, whichever works better for you. Uh, and unless you came here to tell me everything that you're speaking is lies and Jesus is not who he says that he is, then chances are you're, you're not Nicodemus. So you can take a deep breath. That's good. Uh, that's good. None of us are Nicodemus. We are seeking after the Lord. And that means something. But I tell this story because it helps us to understand our need for the Holy Spirit. Jesus is very clear, and he says in no uncertain terms that the only way that we will enter the kingdom of heaven is by and through the Holy Spirit. He is clear. But there's really good news for us because Jesus doesn't just stop at, you need to be born again. He actually continues, not, in the, not necessarily in this conversation with Nicodemus, but for us, he continues to reveal what the Holy Spirit work is, how we will be able to recognize him. So turn with me to John 16. And in this passage that we're about to read, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, who have a lot of questions for Jesus all of the time because he is an incredible man, right? But verse 7 starts like this. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This leads us to the very first experience that we probably ever have with the Holy Spirit, and we may not even know that we have had it. And it's this, that the Holy Spirit convicts us. In this passage, Jesus says to his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come to prove to the world that we are in the wrong. That's conviction. Conviction is, is knowing that what you're thinking isn't right and that when you think about it, um, that this is a huge gift. Right? I would rather know that I'm in the wrong than live my life questioning, am I doing something wrong? <laughs> And the Holy Spirit gives that to us. It gives us clarity, conviction. Um, there's one pastor who kind of explains the Holy Spirit as a spiritual agitator. And for those of you who do your own laundry, which I hope is most of you, um, we're adults, but <laughs> if not, okay. <laughs> uh, those of you who do your own laundry will recognize an agitator because that's what's in the washer, washing your clothes. An agitator, you stick all of your clothes into a basin and it moves. Right? And what it's doing when it moves is it's separating the dirt from your clothing. The Holy Spirit is a spiritual agitator. He separates the dirt from your life so that you can clearly see it. 
But there are a few different responses to this conviction, aren't there? And I would say that more important than you having the experience of conviction is how you respond to the experience of conviction. There are those of us who justify our sin, who say, well, there's a reason that I'm doing the thing that I'm doing. I'll tell you what, I speed sometimes. And you know what my justification always is? Well, I'm running late, it's okay. Right? Really, it's, it's not okay. And if the police pulled me over, they would have every right to give me a ticket because what I'm doing is wrong. But it's easy to justify. Well, I'm five minutes late, so I'll make that time up on the road buzzing around everybody else and creating maybe some not-so-great situations for their commutes to work, right? So you can justify your sin. You can ignore the red flashing light of conviction. You can say, you know, I probably should not go to the bar if I want a soda. But you say, well, it's a quick stop. I'll just stop in, right? It's just a soda. I can sit at the bar and the Holy Spirit is just all the while growing bigger and brighter and saying, you know, there's a convenience store down the road where they have your favorite soda and it even has a cap. You can drink it later and you still walk in. You can ignore conviction. Or, and I think this is, this is one of the worst ones, you can begin to look at everybody else as less than, because they are pointing out your sin. You can say, you have no right to talk to me about what's going on in my life, because look at the state of yours. You can say, I have been angry with you since you said that, and I'm not going to listen to what you have to say to me now, even if it is truth. There is one response to conviction that shows that you are being spiritually transformed and it's repentance. Let me tell you something. Repentance loves conviction because conviction shows us a deficit and repentance tells us we are wrong, that we can be different. Repentance loves conviction. Just like we don't put our dirty laundry into the washer and expect it to come out dirty, We cannot keep expecting to see the Holy Spirit work and move in our lives and not respond to conviction. It doesn't work that way. But I'll tell you something. It's not the agitator that's broken. But it might be you. Like Nicodemus, we don't want to be clean on the outside but spiritually dead. We don't want to look good, look like we have our stuff together, but not be transformed on the inside. Repentance loves conviction. And there's another thing in in John 16 that Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And it's that the Holy Spirit converts us. Read with me in John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Why is it so exciting that the Holy Spirit converts us? Man, I could tell you a whole slew of reasons, but I've picked out my favorite three, (laughs) okay? Uh, The first is that, unlike Nicodemus, we don't need to try to do it on our own strength. 
That spiritual rebirth is not something I have to generate in myself and of my own power. It doesn't come from me. That's the Holy Spirit. Praise God, because I don't think I'm strong enough to do it by myself. Right? The Holy Spirit converts us. And there's a second reason, okay? And that's that when the Holy Spirit is leading us, if we keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is who converts us, when the Holy Spirit leads us to speak truth into another person's life, to share our testimony, to reach out a loving hand to a neighbor, that it's the Holy Spirit who is working in them, not you. You can absolutely be used by the Holy Spirit, and you should, you should, please hear me. But that the weight of that person's salvation is not on me entirely that because the Holy Spirit guides that person into truth and gives them an opportunity to respond just as I had an opportunity to respond, just as you had an opportunity to respond, that the Holy Spirit will do that for them too. That the weight of their entire salvation is not alone on you, but that you do get to be a part of it. That's exciting. I love that. It's great for me because I am super weird. And so when the Lord asks me to speak to people, I say, okay, Lord. And then I, I walk over and sometimes leave the conversation feeling like I think the only thing that they learned is that I'm very strange, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's good. It's a blessing that the Holy Spirit is who converts us. It's the Holy Spirit who is working in your life and the lives of others to convert them. And there's, there's one last thing that I think is incredibly exciting about the Holy Spirit converting us. And that's the gift of discernment. Because the Holy Spirit speaks truth into our lives and puts us in positions where we can hear truth, he also gives us discernment to know what is truth. Right? Just like conviction, this goes hand in hand, gives us the ability to hear and to recognize truth when it's spoken. And that is such an incredible gift. We don't have to wonder, is this right? Is this wrong? We know. The Holy Spirit is concerned with salvation. Is concerned with your salvation. Is concerned with the people that you know who are not saved. He's concerned with their salvation. And that is an incredible gift. And it's probably challenging too. There's one more thing about Holy Spirit influence that we need to know to better understand this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Okay, and the third thing is this, that the Holy Spirit calls us. And this calling is important because it's an invitation. It is not a declaration. It's an invitation. So in, in, I'll show you what I mean. In Romans chapter 7, no, Romans chapter 1, verse 7, <laughs> Paul says this, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Called to be his holy people. And in Romans 8, Paul says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is a key part of what Nicodemus misses. This invitation is open. This invitation is not only for a select few. The call to be God's holy people is for everyone. 
And the Holy Spirit will call you to grow ever more like Jesus, to be holier today than you were yesterday. That is a call to be God's holy people. It is for everyone. And what happens when we miss this part of the Holy Spirit work is that God becomes a little bit scary because we have to do it in and of ourselves. Because then, without this part of the Holy Spirit, then what Nicodemus is already living is true. That we have to be perfect by ourselves without the help of God. And you know what that does? That makes God the enemy. That makes God the one to be overcome. Because I can do it by myself. And what the Holy Spirit what Jesus or what Paul is saying about the Holy Spirit here is that the Holy Spirit calling you is a sign that God loves you. Is a sign that God is for you, as we just sang, not that he is against you, like Nicodemus may think. God is for you. He is calling you, and this is intentional. If you feel the urge to love God, you are called by him. And the other half of that is that if you love God, he loves you. This is not a give and a take. This is not, man, I have to only sacrifice for the Lord and he, I get nothing in return. He loves you. He is for you. And he wants this transformation to take place in your life. Um, in, in ending, because I think that it's very poignant that, that Nicodemus misses that that Nicodemus misses the love of God, that he misses uh, the fact that God is for him, not against him, that God is not an enemy to be overcome, but he is somebody who will guide you into overcoming the real enemy. Um, I need to tell you a story, and it's a hard story. It's a sad story, uh, but it ends really well, so stick around <laughs> for, the, for the end. It's good. <laughs> um, my mom is mentally ill, and many of you know that, um, I've shared that in my testimony. I've spoken about her before. Um, but while I was in college, she got really, really down, really sad, really depressed. Um, and she found herself without hope. Uh, my mom was not a Christian. And um, I think that's what makes part of this story for us so hard to hear. Um, she tried to kill herself. Um, and I remember getting that call, and I remember how absolutely destroyed I felt that a whole piece of me would be missing, would be gone. Um, but there is such good news in that the Lord spared my mom's life, um, and that the mission that she had set out to accomplish, she didn't. That is so good. And I rejoiced on the day knowing that even though she was in so much pain and she had tried, that she did not succeed. That is such a good thing. But let me tell you something. I never thought that there would be a time where my mom would get back to a place where she started to hope again. But I have a picture to show you. Um, this is my mom. <laughs> and she looks so cute in this photo. She's smiling. She's like, she hates pictures being taken of her, so she looks a little, like, awkward and nervous. But at the same time, um, she looks happy. And what she's holding in her hand is a membership, a membership paper. She became a, a member of the Methodist Church. Um, 
And I will tell you, I rejoiced so gladly to know that my mom's physical life was spared, but I rejoiced and was overjoyed so much more when I saw this picture. Because this means that my mom gets eternal life. This means that the Holy Spirit has been working in my mother's life since before she even knew to spare her, to save her, and to bring her to a place where she can now know God. And that spiritual awakening, that spiritual rebirth is so much more than her physical life. And I don't say that to be crass at all. Because I know that we all have people in our lives who don't know Jesus. But I say that because you need to understand that when the Holy Spirit is leading you, when the Holy Spirit is urging you to reach out to them, what is at stake is so much more than their physical life. But there is such hope in knowing that the Holy Spirit goes before you. That it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the people you care about, who convicts you. It's the Holy Spirit who converts them. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks truth and life into their lives that they might know Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit who calls them to grow closer and closer to God. And that's the narrative that's being woven in my mother's life, that she now gets to know the Lord. And I pray that she will grow and continue to know that the Lord loves her, that he is for her. So when we talk about Holy Spirit, when we talk about influence, there is a rhythm that is happening just below the surface that we don't always see, but it's there. And the evidence is in people like my mom coming to know the Lord. I feel like I could cry forever because that is such a, a beautiful and a holy thing, knowing that for the rest of my life, I get to spend it with my mom. Who is it in your life who needs you to walk across the room? Who is it in your life who needs Jesus, who is without hope? The Holy Spirit goes before you, but you have to respond to the call. You'll close your eyes and position yourselves in whatever posture of prayer is the way that you pray to the Lord. Um, here at Anchor, we like to call it a posture of prayer because this is you having a conversation with the Lord. So find yourselves in a posture of prayer and let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that you have sent your spirit and Jesus was absolutely right um, that even while the earth rejoiced that Jesus was here, that he was Messiah, that he walked on the earth, God, that your Holy Spirit is so much more personal, that your Holy Spirit is so much better, as Jesus said. God, I'm grateful for the work that you've done in my mother's life. I'm grateful for the work that you've done in my life, in the lives of the people seated before me. But God, I know that that work is not done. And I know that in every single one of these people's lives, there is a person who needs Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would call them to walk across the room, to meet that person where they're at. Holy Spirit, I know that you go before us, and that means that even when we mess it up, 
that you still have the opportunity to use it. God, all that you're asking is that we move and you will do the rest. God, just as your spirit has been present since the beginning of creation, just as your spirit has hovered over the waters and made them teem with life, you are in the business of taking empty and broken and formless and void things and filling them. God, would you do that for us today? Would you help us to do that for others? God, I love you so much. I'm so grateful for the snow. I'm so grateful for the people seated here. Would you walk with us? In Jesus' name, amen.